0: Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, March 14th of 2023, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday, and today we're gathering at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time, which for our friend Charles Willard in Minnesota is 5.30. The Sunday coming up is March 19th, and we're working to be faithful to year A. Here's how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from the week's leader. And then in this podcast, we share, question, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us for today's discussion
1: Sarah Mickelson in Tampa, Charles Willard in Minnesota,
2: Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida.
0: I'm Don Upton, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And our lead for today is Bill Hull. So he's going to set up the discussion and uh, get us into the reading of the scripture. Hello, Bill. Hope you're doing well today.
2: Uh, I am. Thank you. Welcome to my team members and those who view and listen later. You're an important part of the dialogue. Um, Sort of fasten your seatbelt. Our reading for today is the entire. 41 verses of chapter 9 In the Gospel of John Uh, Some scholars say It is the longest uh, Selection In all of the lectionary Whether or not that is true It is long And as I told my colleagues Before the recording began I was tempted to select out One part of this But uh, my questions Are based on the belief That the entire Drama is important So in a moment Each of the four of us Is going to read a section Of this chapter Divided as I Have a sense of the movement Of the drama So building on that I, I would invite you to listen For the flow of the story The characters The dynamics In this admittedly Lengthy reading I read, We read together from The Gospel of John chapter 9 verses 1 through 41 from the New Revised Standard Version and we will begin with Charles.
3: John chapter 9 beginning with verse 1. As he walked along he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither has Neither this man nor his uh, parents. No, let me try that. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of Him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which being sent. Then he went and washed and came back to see, came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is unlike him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said to him, he said, I do not know. They brought
0: to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he observed the Sabbath. But how, said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? And it was your eyes he opened, he said. He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How do you now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. therefore, his parents
1: said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind. And they said to him, "'Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner.' He answered, "'I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know is though I was blind, now I see.' And they said to him, "'What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes?' He answered them, "'I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want, me, why do you want to hear it again?' Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple? But we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. We do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But he does listen to one who worships him and obeys him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you are born entirely in sins. Are you, re- are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out.
2: Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when Jesus found the man, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And the man worshipped Jesus. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near Jesus heard this and said to him, surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Thank you, team. Now, I have three questions, and uh, Sarah heads up, I'm going to come to you first here in a moment. How would you describe or characterize the plot and the dynamics of this drama, and how might this inform and shape your faith journey, Sarah?
1: There are two loaded questions. I think our main character comes offering gifts, of sight and light and healing for all those who are in need. Those with hardened hearts are suspicious of all who receive gifts. They reject the gift giver and the gift of sight because they think they know better. They have the mind of God they're standing on the opposite side of that apple, so to speak. Um, they don't accept any gifts from the giver, and they are uh, to this. And they they bully those who do accept the gifts, and discourage those in need of healing from accepting or reaching for that help. Now, how does this shape my faith journey? Um, it's interesting to observe those that are bullying and trying to figure out why they're bullying. Um, and oftentimes it's a power struggle. In this story, I think we see that this community is held hostage by the inquisitors um, of the of the parents, the the son who is blind, and the the population around them that are observing. And I think that's kind of, um, you know, a power broker perspective. And I think we'll see this play out in a larger way. And, and I think this is a story within a larger story for us. Um, it's interesting how one witness can disrupt that. I think that that's powerful for victory.
2: Thank you, Sarah. Don.
0: You uh, talked about the faith journey, so this is a little play, and, you know, a lot of commentators say, let's look at the scenes. How many scenes are there? Some go seven, some go eight, I say three, but the point is, I think, that uh, the plot, to your point, evolves, Uh, and it's over a very short period of time. It's just a few hours a day, very, you know, compressed. So much happens. So much transformation in a short period of time. And I feel like in my journey, I'm asked to look at that frame of time in the context of the arc of the life of the church and the arc of the life of Christ, that no matter what dimension you take it to, you know, there's, and there's actually creation in this too. It's a creation story. There's a, new, there's a new person that's being revealed here, a person that's been changed. So you could take it to creation. You could take it to the life of Christ. They I believe a life to the life church because of the time it's been written. And I'd even say you could insert the person, the man, and you could say church. You know, there's change, there's change within it. Christ is come, Christ is going, Christ is coming and going, and coming and going, but he's always present. And within the plot that helps me with my journey is Jesus never leaves. It looks like he, he does. There's points where he is not present, but his presence is there because the discussion is would not be taking place without Jesus. The transformation would not be taking place without Jesus. I could say he doesn't have to be there. And you think about any play that you see or any movie you see, just because key characters are not on the stage doesn't mean that they're not driving the action.
1: And, and I,
0: I like that very much, especially when we're thinking about the church. That, that there's a, Here's a binary discussion halfway through, and then another binary discussion, and then another binary discussion. Who are you? Who changed you? Who is this? Who is this? Did he perform a, a work on the Sabbath or not? Your binary, binary. Sounds like life to me, the world that I'm living in. And it just comes at us every minute. You know, and is the is the subject Jesus? Is the subject Jesus? If he's off the stage in the church or in life, is the subject still Jesus? And I think on the faith journey, we're asked to go, we're asked to say, yeah, he is. Or if he's not, if he's off stage, you know, how how is this working in what we're doing, especially in the church? So the subject is Jesus. The play is about Jesus. And every scene is shaped by Jesus.
2: That's what i got there. Thank you, Don. Charles, how would you describe the flow of this story, and how might it inform and shape your faith journey?
3: I don't have a good answer to the second question, the last question. Um, I do, I do find that it's it's a, it's a, it's a very strange story, and I'm trying to think what it is that John. Who has gathered this information, gathered this particular story what John is trying to do here, what John is trying to say in by what he gathers together here uh, because it 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 really doesn't come to a, a good conclusion um, by that what I mean is that it doesn't leave us with a uh, a really gathered story that that you're then able to do something with. I don't uh, I'm not sure that the man who um was blind and now saw does something. I'm not sure that the Pharisees learn something. I'm not sure what Jesus Jesus doesn't leave it uh in a very up mood uh because in the very last uh the very last line, the very last verse it said Jesus said to them, If you were blind you would not ha- you would not have sinned. But now that you say we see your sin remains, that, uh, just, it's,
2: it's, for me, it's an odd story. Yes, it is, Charles, and I will begin uh, building on what you said. This story is full of tension, twists and turns, and by the end, it is, the, the tension is not resolved. If anything, it is heightened. The parents are afraid because they might get expelled from the synagogue, which we know was happening. The, the, the man who is healed takes an even greater risk because he does declare that he believes Jesus is the Messiah. So he's not only been a beggar in his society, it's likely now he wouldn't be allowed to go to the synagogue. So it is a difficult story, Charles. I agree. And um, I would say the unresolved tension would be a part of my response to the second question I asked, how does this inform and shape my faith journey? People always live with tension, but in the last, Years With COVID And the political And social upheavals In our country and in the world I I see Little hope that the tension Will be relieved anytime soon In fact The political tension is increasing It seems to me And so yet Jesus (laughs) Remained True to his mission Um, And I, I think he Referred to this before we started the recording Sarah. And I don't want to take away from something you may want to say later. My attention was drawn to the my favorite of all the parables of Jesus is the parable of the sower. He just throws the seed out there. To me, this is an example of that parable. There's the the man, the neighbors. And we'll get to that in another question. And Jesus doesn't spend a lot of or Maybe he spend any energy trying to change the soil, his focus is putting the good news out there, and um, I am particularly captured by how this man, who's seemingly in that society had little influence, he was a beggar, he was blind he will and and people want to take away his identity and I love, love verse nine. I am the man. And the parents say, This is our son. I I think that's so relevant today that we not take away people's identity because of the judgment of society on their education, their race, their sexual identity, or whatever. I I love that verse. The blind man says, I am. Uh, The man All right Um, Interestingly What follows this Is Jesus' discourse About being the good shepherd And I think this story Is an illustration Of what good shepherds do They They know The the sheep All right Question number two And Don I want to come to you first In a moment As I see it, the persons, the characters in this narrative are Jesus, an unnamed blind man who is a beggar, the blind man's parents, Jesus' disciples, the crowd, neighbors, and Jews and some who were Pharisees. I might insert here, we've done this a number of times, we need to be careful in the Gospel of John. I I really do not believe it is anti-Semitic. Many scholars say that when he here refers to the Jews, he's referring to what became known as the Judaizers, those who were so certain that they were right, that they had a full grip on God's truth. Um, Don, what roles do these characters play, and with which one or ones do you most identify, Don?
0: All the characters and on this particular year, on this particular reading of the cycle, uh, have to be read together and in pieces. And I think that's what we're encouraged to do. And it goes to the caution that you raised, in which I, I've, I'm with you. Um, if we look at it as a whole, then these the ping-ponging it looks, looks like us, it looks like society, it looks like any community you walk into that has a frame of reference, a way of truth interpretation or truth telling. And it, and, it's, and it ends up in these binary discussions about how things work. So in that way, you know, you can add up any community anywhere, and it, it should be familiar to us. Then the second is the very personal individual side of this, where it's not every group necessarily. You've got to take it the next step, which is these are all individuals. So, yeah, maybe the caution is, you know, you could bunch them into groups. But that's creating others as well. So I think this is focused in on this one person, and everyone's watching. You know, you could say, well, there's a Greek chorus out there, too, interpreting the action. So I'd say we have to look at very big, all of them, and look at our society and our communities that we live in. It's the all. And in the middle, which is there's people interpreting truth in their own frames, and then we've got the individual But the question that really got my attention was about, you know, who do you identify with? So I'm going to choose the parents. Hmm. I like that one this time. And the reason I'm picking the parents is they are so very close to the individual, so very close. They identify him. They play an important role. It is he. But they also – disclaim him in certain ways so as he has changed they identify him but then as, as it goes a little further they're like he's moving out he becomes an other to them as well he can speak for himself I like the parents also because you know whether we're talking and I'm a parent I'm not saying it's exactly like having children but the transformation as an analogy uh, a parent the arc of the life, seeing what happens with your children. Are they three? Are they ten? My relationship with my adult children is a shock to me, and I mean that in a happy way. No one prepared me for the blessings and the change and the excitement of having a relationship with adult children. It is one of the great joys and surprises of my life, but also come as a shock because, you know, that's not who I would have framed them, but I have enough people to guide me through it that I can look at them and go, wow, this is a new, they're new, they're, you know, my life is enriched because they're guiding me. So I like the parents because I think it best reflects the newness and change What's going on. I also think there's a caution there because the parents are like a new creature. I don't understand what's happening. Let him speak for himself. And then, yes, we all speak for ourselves. Everybody in the story is speaking for themselves. You know, and the group, whether you group them or not, we're all speaking for ourselves. And what truth telling mechanism are we using in order to look at something that is you know, a scale of change that is almost beyond imagination? And I'm talking about one individual on a particular day within a few hours and the arc of the story is almost incomprehensible in terms of the change that's taking place. So, for that reason, I choose the parents. Thanks,
2: so. Bill. Thank you, Don. Charles, what do you make of the characters and do you identify with one or several or all of them, Charles?
3: I'm I'm sorry, I don't have a contribution here.
2: Okay, thank you. Sarah.
1: So I'm gonna interject um Jennifer Garcia Bashaw's um writing or commentary on this passage from workingpreacher.org, she lifts up um, another Johannian scholar, Joanne Brandt, who um, is at Goshen College, and she talks about this story being a smaller version of what happens with Jesus. And that we have obviously a person whose life has been impacted and changed dynamically, being questioned and questioned and questioned and questioned, considered an invalid witness, and then, and rejected. And I think that there's a lot to be seen for the parallel action in the larger story of Jesus on how he's received as an invalid witness. Um, And so it's kind of curious to me that, in this particular way of thinking about the story, my my eyes and my thoughts went to the disciples. So here's a, a blind man who suddenly his whole world is he uphe- is is gone through upheaval. He can see now that's what prevented him from making a living, prevented him from being a con- contributor to the community and, and, and a burden to his parents. Um so he now suddenly is put in this position where he has to change dynamically, right? He's, he's going to change the way he dresses. He's going to change, perhaps, where he what he does for a living, how he earns his his money to to exist in the world, and and his contributions to his parents He is now suddenly going to be held accountable for caring for them. So all of these things um, are kind of a shift in in their thinking. And the same thing can be said of the parents. You know, did the parents still offer him shelter? Did they park him at the wall every day so he could beg for alms? We don't know. And this whole community is going to change around this story because whether they like it or not, the parents and the young man are going to continue to live there. He's going to continue to be a living witness to the miracle that's occurred. So I I went with the disciples on which of the characters in the drama were most interesting to me, because they're observing this, almost like a Greek chorus, soaking up this experience, and they're going to have to live beyond Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, and how are they going to continue this witness, this story, this presence of, of the living God with the people around them, beyond Jesus' mission on earth, and I think that that's part of the story is what are we asked to do as witnesses to the miraculous? We're just asked to tell our truth. We're asked to be consistent and persistent in that witness. We can't conject as to we're selected as believers. We can't pretend to understand why this particular beggar, was, this particular blind beggar was picked and made to see again. All we can say is, I was blind, and and now I can see. And that's the truth we can tell. And I think that's the truth the disciples tell
2: Thank you, Sarah. Uh, I will begin with an overarching dynamic and then talk about the characters. This, to me, is a powerful drama of how problematic recovery is even in our modern world. I've had the privilege over the years of being in relationship with several, at least several hundred people in recovery from chemical addiction. And uh, step five is the, if possible, make amends. And that is a step that needs to be carefully navigated Uh, because to go back to people you have hurt and to seek with integrity uh, to rebuild bridges and relationships is very challenging. So I would say in some way I identify with each person. Um, The blind man, uh, this whole story is about Jesus being the light of the world and uh, of, of part of the result of sin is that all of us are blind in some way. Um, the blind man's parents, uh, Don, you, I think I'm echoing what I heard you say. Uh, there's that dynamic that he's an adult. He he needs to be his own person and their fear of, of being rejected by their worship community. The disciples, I <laughs> I listened yesterday afternoon to the pastors of Bible study from Palma of Presbyterian Church, pastors Ken Hubble, Mike Peacock, and John Devilboy were talking about, and I think it was Mike who uh, made the point, let's be honest, we really do wonder what led to this. What bad behavior did somebody engage in that led to these uh, results? And um, the Pharisees, Judaizers, um, yeah, that—that's. I'd like to think I got a grip on reality. That I understand God's way in the world. You know, after all, I'm a retired pastor. I was asked to be a spiritual leader. That—that uh, that capacity uh, to. To go beyond that, uh, to uh, even at times on the haircuts. Now, the last one I'll mention. I don't want to say I am Jesus. I. The impact of this story is I most want to be like Jesus, and I would describe Jesus in the story as aware, as present. And compassionate, this man did not ask to be healed. the the discourse begins with the disciple saying, "Okay, here's this situation. What caused it? who's the blind?" And Jesus is aware of the blindness, and yet he remains present and compassionate and In my final comment, I mentioned this. In the pre-recording time three years ago this was the first week that palmas Preston church went virtual and i can't help you I'm really... the, the, the pandemic has transformed how we see powerfully transformed how we see okay the third question. um This passage ends with a mysterious dialogue between Jesus, the newly sighted man, and the Pharisees. And I I think I need to read these few verses so we remember the context. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees heard Jesus near Jesus heard this and said to Jesus surely we are not blind are we Jesus said to the Pharisees if you were blind you would not have sin but now that you say we see your sin remains this this is a confounding dialogue to me Charles any thoughts on this no okay so uh, Sarah, if you're there, if not, we'll go to Don. Don, let's let's go to you.
0: Yeah. Uh, first, I want to affirm. I want to be careful about how I do this. Is I'm, in terms of love, that I am obliged. I'm asked to keep my eyes open to see other people. But I, I think in this passage, I think there's a message that it is not, I, I do not have the power or the standing or the insight to affirm this man. He's treated as the other. And on the flip side, if I do, if I'm the gateway if I'm the one, like everybody, every character in here, deciding who he is and whether or not he's okay, then I'm falling into the trap of becoming the judge and the jury. I'm becoming like God and I'm becoming like Jesus. So oh, I, I want to be careful. On one hand, it's like I, in terms of love, the love of the Christ, I should keep my head up, and my eyes open, see my neighbor. But on the other hand, you know, the trap is, well, I'm going to size you up and identify whether you're good to go. That's There's the danger. though. I'm not God. I'm not the judge. I'm not the jury, though every day I sure want to be, you know, in this group, like the parents or anybody else. Isn't it my job in this community to size him up and see if he's okay? And I think this is a warning. No, not at all. And the reason I'm saying that is, the comparison, uh, Sarah, you made with the story of the Christ, this man parallels that, if I had you right, uh, then this transformation is going to happen no matter what, this man, no matter what, no matter what I think, no matter what the parents think, no matter what character in here, he is, I am the man. And what's parallel in the prior chapter is Jesus goes, I am, I am. And so you have those coming together. Jesus, this transformation is going to take place no matter what, no matter what anybody thinks about it. And whether I think he has standing to be a part of the community or not, whether his parents do, Jesus has done this. It is decisive. And I would say it's as decisive, to Sarah, your point, as the mission of Christ and turning his head on Jerusalem. He loves the world. God loves the world. And he will do what he's going to do. And I don't have any standing in that, and he's going to heal this man, and there it is, just like uh I always raise up Jesus riding through the gate in Jerusalem, you know, and people are throwing their cloaks down in front of him, and, you know, he, he's going to ride through. My Christ is going to ride through no matter what, no matter what I think, no matter what I think about other people. Now, I have an obligation and love to see them, but Bill, to, to just quickly answer your question, that that's the stay setting for it, is uh, I, I think blindness, uh, you know, having eyes open and then being blind, for me, I'm thinking back to uh, some classes, like uh, uh, a fellow who was at Palm Superior Presbyterian Church, Will Wellman, uh, and he just talked about if your eyes are open, my open eyes, I'll make it personal, is related to the frame that I live in, the way I want truth-telling mechanisms to take place, my eyes are open. I, I can act like God. I can be the judge and the jury. I see you. I can, I can frame your behavior based on what I believe is true. And so all that truth-telling is about the eyes being open. And, and I think it's it, to make it simple, it's just that flip that if my eyes are open, then I think I have a responsibility. I can be the judge and the jury, and I can be God, and I can be Jesus, and I can size up anybody I want. I think that's what Jesus needs by having the eyes open that it's a a fault, it's a fiction, and it's self-serving. It's it's an act of fear and control, an act of uh, uh, creating and and uh, perpetuating a frame of understanding. We have the power to name things. I name that man. I name you. I can call you names. We have the power to make our own assumptions the law. Uh, we have the power to make our own sense-making systems. We have the power to act out dogmatic situations, and so I think that's what he means by eyes are open or all those things. And then there's a different there's a different pathway here uh, that Jesus is talking about. Final note is I, I uh, remember uh, John DeBois in 2017 March March of 17, he preached on this, and I thought that was a sweet reminder from him. By the way, John's the pastor of Palmasy of Presbyterian Church that makes this pod- podcast possible. He, he, and I'm paraphrasing, but I think he opened his sermon by going, you know, let's just remember at the end, this wasn't an outcome that anybody wanted. You know, and in any script, and any scene, you can remember the shock of any movie or scene where it's the end it's like, oh, that's not, that's not what I had in mind at all. You know, <laughs> what Jesus wanted to do. And that's, and it's not a darn thing that could be done about it.
2: Our ride right through. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. I appreciated your emphasis on that we see and what we do with that see is powerfully important. Sarah, how do you interpret these verses and how might you apply them to yourself?
1: There are moments where I think I know better than God. This story reminds me but those particular thoughts and those particular moments are invitations to step back and realize that I I I don't know better than God, that I'm not God, and that and any time I try to put on that costume, if that's what it is, I um I I make serious and grave mistakes that are impactful to myself and impactful to the people around me. So I see these words, and I understand these words these way, this way, that when I start to have the mind of God and think that I have the thoughts that God thinks, I become blind to the, the gift of God around me. And when I function with the full awareness that I am not God, then I have the flexibility of seeing the gifts that God brings and the gifts that God offers. They might come in the presence of someone else. They might come through the hands of someone else. They might come unexpectedly to someone else around me. And my job is not to be envious that they can see. My job is to bear witness to the miracle that's occurring and to rejoice that someone else has received a gift. Um I think that's that's part of one of the friction points I see often is that when others are given unexpected gifts, the rest of the audience stands around and goes, well, what about me? Where's mine? When do I get mine? And I'm I'm curious about that. I'm like, you can't be happy for someone else? And so I'm looking at this and and thinking, it's... (laughs) Uh, it is national pie day, by the way, three point one four one five one nine and i'm I'm thinking about this in relationship to pie. if somebody else gets a piece of pie, that doesn't mean there's less pie for me and And I think that's part of the story is that we stand thinking about how we we see the gifts that God brings. And if they they don't land in our lap, aren't they still gifts? Don't we still get to stand and wonder about that? Or do we get to say, well, where's my helping of ice cream? Or where's my slice of pie? Or where's my miracle? No, I think we get to be, we get to bear witness to the gift that was given. So I'm curious about that, too. I think that's the next step for us.
2: Thank you Sarah How might I interpret and apply these verses to myself In the uh, Commentary series entitled Connection It is noted on this passage That the question how Occurs six times in this passage Which leads me to think That Confounding though these last few verses are, it may be the writer or writers of the Gospel of John's way of saying, folks, what was that whole story all about? And this story, in one sense, is that it's tempting to be dismissive of God's presence and power when what happens does not conform to our expectations. Back to your point, Don, about this not ending (laughs) the way someone might expect. Um, And I've referred to the Judaizers and that all of us uh, are, are prone to that. They are convinced that they see better than anyone else. And in a sense, the person who best sees is the formerly blind man. I said this in the pre-recording, my wife and I recently watched three seasons of The Chosen and then last night watched a lengthy interview or dialogue among the four people who founded it. And the director said that in one sense, the purpose of the series is to convey Jesus's message to the disciples and others. Get used to different (laughs) So this Story is get used To different And interestingly in the New Revised Standard Version um, In verse 3 Jesus Says this man was born Blind so that God's works Might be revealed in him Uh, Peterson in the Message translates that as Look Instead for what God can do The disciple said Who's, who's to blame Who, who sinned And I like Peterson's rendering Look for what God can do And in that spirit I'm going to end with this quote From the 19th century Cuban poet Jose Julian Marti Perez Who said Love is born with the pleasure of looking at each other. Love is fed with a necessity of seeing each other. Love is completed with the impossibility of separation. I like that. Don, back to you.
0: Thank you, thank you for uh, leading us through that, Bill great questions, and uh, when when the questions come up, part of what we're doing is making sure we have many listeners that are facilitating classes, moderating panels, preparing remarks, and those questions, we're test-driving them. You know, they may come in handy for you as well, and that's part of what we're, we're trying to do today. And uh, Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida, and they make this podcast possible for more information, you can go to PalmaCia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We commend that site to you for sermons, discussions, uh, discussions about the same scripture sometimes, uh, studies, meditations, prayers, opportunity to take communion, uh, outstanding music, so check that out. And you're always welcome, and we'll see you next time.